Koto Gatoa, Namai Harimai. Welcome, Territory Three community, to another uh, Territory Three Academy webinar. And it is my great pleasure, having just actually started sampling his products, uh, to welcome Angus Brown from Arepa, who's going to tell us his story and relate it to our founder community about starting something from nothing and uh, yeah, taking it through to what looks like some early but phenomenal success uh, based on where I can uh, now acquire. Uh, my new delight for uh, keeping calm, crisp, and uh, and clear. So, um, Angus, welcome. Uh, I'm going to get you to introduce yourself in a moment. A uh, couple of housekeeping items. We are, of course, on Zoom. Um, no doubt over the last three years, you're well-trained around that. But just in case you're new, if you do have a burning question during this session, please put it in the Q&A rather than the comments. Call for the comments to say good day to folks and uh, chat to regulars and so forth. But um, if you want us to ensure we get through those uh, questions specifically, please do put them in the Q&A and I'll be, I'll be running a little check-in on those at uh, about the 30 minute mark and about the 50 minute mark before we uh, start to wrap up in this wonderful session. So Angus, welcome. And, Thank you. Uh, I'm gonna, gonna hand over to you, just tell us a little bit about yourself and then uh, we're gonna wind into to learning more about the story and you know, where you've come from so far. And I guess more importantly, where you headed. Yeah, cool. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, so um, morena everyone. Um, uh, a little bit about myself. Um, born in um, born in New Zealand. Uh, grew up in Hawke's Bay. Uh, was a classic kind of you know normal Kiwi kid. Um, more focused on um, you know lunchtime and and sport on the weekends than than I was at class. Um, and then. Uh, went down to um, Canterbury, uh, enjoyed university life, um, started to do civil engineering, and I was playing competitive hockey at the time. Uh, I was also also within the first year of university, wanted to become a professional DJ, um, and you could, I could almost hear the eyeballs roll um, with my parents over the phone <laughs> when I the news. Um, and uh, I had a bit of fun over the five years, um, ended up with a finance and accounting degree at um, Victoria University in Wellington. And um, my first uh, role out of, um, I, and I, I, I did actually become quite successful with DJing, where like, playing at like Homegrown or um, kind of New Year's Eve at Rhythm and Vines. And, and from that experience, I learned about um, I guess that was my first kind of taste of what it was like to create a brand. And um, although I'd finished up with a finance and accounting degree, I was still really fascinated with brand. And um, I thought, well, you know, either advertising or fast moving consumer goods would be the, the, the place for me where my passion was starting to lie. And um, I chose fast moving consumer goods. And my first role was uh, working for Frucor selling V. Um, I also at high school I, I lost a friend to um, to mental health and um, and then in my first year of of selling uh, selling V I, I lost two grandparents to to brain related illnesses and so that was kind of those two things coupled with obviously when you go through you know you leave high school and you go through you know university you start to realize that you're not the um, the the machine that you once were with regards to what you eat and, and what what you kind of get out of it. And I, I was starting to both experience, like experience from myself and see friends battle with 
you know, mood and depression and, um, and also stress and anxiety as we're all trying to get jobs for the first time. And, you know, while battling vicious hangovers and, and eating a poor diet. So um, I started to think, you know, why am I selling caffeine and sugar and essentially kind of, you know, exasperating stress in the world? And why am I selling energy drinks to little kids when, you know, I've, I'm losing, you know, a friend and loved ones to cognitive related illnesses? Um, why can't we create a brain drink? And, and so I guess that's that's kind of where this idea for Artipa started. And, and I guess that's just like a, a little bit about me. Cool, mate. And, um, you know, we've not met before, but I can... Um... I really appreciate your your candor there, but also um, I'm, I'm loving this conversation already because one of my big beliefs in the world after being on it for a little bit longer than you is to build businesses with profit involved in them because it's important, but also purpose. So um, I look forward to, to digging into that um, with you. So, you know, this idea, you know, so we've got an audience of, uh, of founders and a bunch of people watch this uh, on demand as well. Can you take us through that? You know, so you're in the corporate career selling the V, um and you give us a little bit of a preface of that but you know what were the steps to to realize that idea based on the, the purpose and the drivers that you had uh just to sort of kick off and actually put put a put a placard above above it and say right i'm, I'm now in the trenches i'm now committed to this to this new venture mm. um it was kind of a I guess I, I I must have always had an entrepreneurial spirit in me um, from like an early age. Like my first venture was um, picking up um, interesting looking rocks at Lake Tekapo and then selling them to um, uh, the tourists that would come via the bus, you know, and it's a pretty good margin product, you know, rocks <laughs> on the side of the road and, and selling them off for, you know, five, 10, 20 bucks a pot. Um, but I guess when, you know, I was fed up selling V, but still working for Fruitcore, I, you know, started to think, well, why can't we, you know, for Fruitcore, guys, why can't we make a natural V without caffeine? Why can't we make something that keeps you calm? And so I was, as a salesperson, I was, you know, knocking on the door of the R&D department, and this is a big company, and I was pretty young and probably should have, um, I was probably overstepping a few boundaries, but, you know, I was speaking with the you know, some of the senior people in the R&D questioning going, you know, why, why are we selling, you know, just caffeine and sugar? Can we make something that's better for people? And they said, yeah, well, it's kind of a good idea, but, you know, Angus, you know, stick, stick, and stick to your lane and um, just sell more beef for us, please. And so I thought, well, you know, bugger this, I, I want to try and develop something myself. And um, I had a few, you know, a few friends that, um, through the university um, path, you know, have like we kind of, you know, over a few beers, um, most likely, you know, oh man, we should totally get into business together, you know, in the future. And and so I reached out to a few of those people and and said, hey, like I've got this, like, I can see this potential. And and like at that, I think at that same year, Red Bull had sent someone into space to do the world's highest um, base jump, you know. And so I thought, you know, this market is huge. Um, I think I've got a good take on creating a brand. I think I've got a good idea about what it could be. Why don't we look to do it ourselves? And um, so I ended up um, uh, partnering with a good mate from uni who's now our co-founder um, and co-CEO, Zach. And he's a super talented industrial designer. And um, we 
I said, hey, look, I want to develop this brain drink, but like to convince people, I need some sort of imagery, you know, to, to do this. Can you make up a futuristic looking bottle so that I can kind of take this as part of the, my pitch? And, and that was the first asset that we had was this um, amazing 3D render of this bottle that looks nothing like um, what we, you know, what we sell today. Um, but it was a really good inspirational um, uh, I call it an asset that was helping me, you know, sell the, the story into capability providers that we needed help from. Um, and I remember kind of, as I was speaking to my parents about it, um, uh, dad sent me this article um, of Stephen Joyce had just commissioned this $30 million modular food factory out by the airport called the Food Bowl. Um, and so I kind of just like called them up, knocked on the door and said, um, hey, you know, I, I, I hear this place can help, you know, people wanting to make a new food and beverage product. Um, do you think you guys could help me? I want to develop a, a brain drink. And, and, and I was literally, apparently the fourth ever person to knock on the door there because um, it was so new and said, yeah, sure. Um, so we went in there in a weekend and spent way too much money and we were pressing blueberries and mixing it with bark and putting it through this like high pressure processing chamber and it turned out to look like feel like jelly and it tasted horrible and but we learned a lot and um uh and 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 then and then a job was going as business development manager at this food bowl facility and I thought um, shit, this is this is a pretty interesting role. Like essentially working for the government and food tech. Um, you know, I'm really interested about this space, but I don't know a hell of a lot apart from my own desktop research. You know, I'll be super keen to apply. And so I kind of right time, right place, got the job. Took a massive pay cut, by the way. Like went from I think I was on about 75k plus a car as a 22 year old or whatever to like I think 40k. Um, but I knew that I had got in on this like really interesting, unique opportunity. And so kind of put the, the, the brain drink concepts on the back burner and chipped away on it more as like a hobby in the weekend and like this kind of craft, like, you know, you do a craft beer, it was like a craft brain drink. And I was just, you know, developing the idea and working on the business case and meeting with potential investors. Um, but during the nine to five, during the week, I was catapulted onto the forefront of what food technology is in the country and helping companies big and small develop new high value beverage products using our facilities and the engineers that we had downstairs and, and learning shitloads. And so that was kind of like a really great stepping stone towards kind of, um, you know, leaving and going full time. And, and I kind of suddenly cut my teeth on food business, food scale up, you know, food technology, food IP, and learned so much and then apply, you know, that enabled me to apply those learnings to um, to Arepa and, and, and build it to what it is today. You know, the, one of the questions I always ask founders around that sort of initial stage, having been through it, and I think we all think about it, um, was there anything you would have in an ideal world done differently? I mean, obviously, if someone had just given you a, a pile of money and said, go and, go and let your dream go free, but, you know, you had quite an intentional diversion there by the sound of things just to learn a bunch of things, perhaps about, you know, um, the future product or perhaps about something else, which is super cool. But 
anything else in that journey to sort of getting getting I guess to the start line that you do differently in hindsight yeah I mean yeah hindsight's a beautiful thing probably I mean there was uh, there was a lot of like conceptualizing a lot of like business case to prove because at that point in time nothing like this existed um, there were niche, you know, nootropics that you buy in supplements online, but nothing in the food and beverage space really existed like this to the extent that they do now around the world. Um, and to, to kind of justify, you know, a, a product on a shelf that was, you know, almost twice as much as what the cheap kombuchas were selling for was a huge ask. To justify the investment to put it into risky clinical studies from investors was a huge ask. But... I think, um, I, to be honest, like there's nothing really that I would change dramatically. Probably would have just got the ball rolling a bit quicker, I would say. Mm. You know, yeah. like we were sitting on it for so long and once we started to make it and actually get it into consumers' hands, the, the, the learning just went up and our progress accelerated a lot faster. So I'd say just like, just create something and get it into consumers' hands faster than you you kind of think you should. And the learning that you get from that is invaluable. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. That's, um, that sort of leads me nicely onto my next question, which is about consumers. And you know, I'm, I'm very keen to hear the answer to this one as well, because we're building a new, a new platform for, um, for considerate uh, consumers around fashion. Uh, and sort of making more ethical and sustainable decisions. But the, the question is, I think what we're all trying to figure out, you know, continuously, you know, what, what's your view of consumers now without giving too many trade secrets around in terms of where you've landed with a community and an audience um, for our EPA? And, and, you know, what would you say to someone sort of looking at that sort of where is my sort of heartland consumer actually existing? What, what, what behaviours are you seeing that are, that are changing or mm. shifting there? I guess for us, we, 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 our consumers are pretty broad. Um, we have, we just did some more research um, uh, last week and there's like six kind of subgroups of consumers um, that we, that we have. Um, but it kind of, it takes a while to build like a community of your dedicated fans. And to do that, you need to do a heap of different things and you need to have the right team in place. Um, so for us, like we're a complex product, so education was really important. So we made sure that we were really present at trade shows. We were really clear in building an online um, community of like email subscribers. Um, and having that online store enabled us to, to capture more online subscribers a lot faster, which meant that we could talk to more people online and, and share with them the evidence and the, the research. Um, and having those kind of on the cold face um, trade show interactions, which we haven't stopped for the past five years, we've been pretty much almost at every trade show that you could think of. And it's almost wearing our team, but thin at the moment. They're down at field days, um, just getting ah. slaughtered with um, uh, with with patrons, you know, stressed out farmers wanting wanting products. Um, but <laughs> those, I think, like having being able to have those dialogues constantly, um, you know, speaking at events and 
um, and then uh, doing sampling and store and sharing and then building out that um, that community of like, you know, fans who come to you online or come to you in store or come to your trade shows and just building out those relationships, I think is really important. It really then becomes game changing when you hire a marketing manager because for a long period of time, we were um, uh, a very small team, sales operations and kind of digital online. And, and um, uh, we probably lacked the the yeah the the capacity to really build out and do our own events but now that we have a, a marketing manager it's just it's such a um amazing resource in the sense that we've got someone dedicated to hosting our own on-brand events um uh doing like more focused sampling into um, pockets of our demographics whether it's the neurodiverse um, world or whether it's the elite sport world or whether it's the you know the stressed professional working world we can do more focused like sampling or activations with these consumers and really um kind of build out that relationship with them you you certainly talk to them on all channels from social to email to phone call to having a really good customer service person as well so my my mom's actually our our, huh? our head of customer service um and she loves it and she turns around the most angry angry online shopper to you know loyal long-term um yearly subscriber and and she just puts so much care and you know mother love into into each customer and um you know and they they really appreciate it and they felt as though they've been heard and and often their their anger turns into it's more frustration that they actually want the product and they want to deliver it as soon as possible and so um and we took that learning around having customer service at like the center of your company or the like treat them as the the canary down the, the coal mine um and feeding back into your, your your marketing and your sales and operations team to let let the team know that hey people watering the sample box are missing something or hey our caps uh, screwed on too tightly or hey guys did you know that it, this batch tastes funny um having someone listening to consumer constantly and feeding that through makes us a lot more in tune and on on the right wavelength with everyone so i think that that's that's really important um and then yeah we like we this because it's like it's a we've created a drink that impacts brain function um one in five people on this planet suffer from a like high cognitive stress where we think we can really help them but it's really hard to pick like they're not all you know um they're not all you know men over 60 it's like seriously all shapes and sizes so for us now it's a mixture of like big brand awareness across as like as much of the population as possible that then kind of trickles down and like picks out these consumers and then doing like pockets of events in different communities um where we can kind of bring bring people in and then kind of continuous like really engaging content on social and, and email and then continuous engaging activations with trade shows and sampling and really good presentation in store. So that's kind of like our, I guess our magic mix um, that we have. And we're really lucky where we've, um, you know, we've gone from 
like the back office of Abe's Bagels where there was no air conditioning and we were, you know, in bare feet and, um, and topless because it was so damn hot in summer to now we're in a like a really beautiful uh, office um, in Morningside um, next to the spinoff and we use this, this space now as a um, as a beacon for our brand and we host events here and, and that certainly helps to, to build the um, the connectivity between online and offline and and also um, turn us into more of a you know a real thing yeah that's very cool and I think um, uh, just just a quick history of where we've come from for some of the reasons that you've actually highlighted is we used to be called Kiwi Landing Pad and we used to be very focused about tech entrepreneurs coming from New Zealand, tech founders going from New Zealand to San Francisco, because that was kind of the, the the chosen path. But part of the reason we changed to Territory 3 is that I think we're in a third territory here where, and you just highlighted it beautifully, thank you, in terms of like anything you're building, um, whether it's a physical product or a software product, actually really, really benefits from that intentionality of using online resources building community and actually using that to get your scale and your you know your effectiveness to, to much higher levels mm. um, which is super cool and I just um, I get a bit challenged myself and those who have um, discussed this with me know that you know we have this software as a service sort of mantra in New Zealand there's a as a deep product um, capability or focus of Kiwi tech uh, founders um, but you actually have a subscription service which to me is really you know, one of the bigger difference of the software as a service sort of category that we've sort of almost talked ourselves into, um, my belief, um, for software products. But I've, I've experienced your um, your service and, um, you know, my, my box delivered uh, in, um, very, very quickly as expected. And um, I think to your point, the, the brand um, vibe uh, of the messages and stuff, which, you know, you get a lot of them as consumers now in terms of, some of them are pushy, some of them don't really feel authentic. It was um, it was really it was really cool, which I imagine has taken quite a bit of experimentation. My question mm. around that kind of what I would call it is active path marketing, you know, where you build a community and you start nurturing them and then finally they sort of get themselves over that hurdle of sort of listening and not unsubscribing and then actually trying or trialing or buying, what have you. What what surprised you the most in that sort of active path so far about what you would have thought? would have occurred and this is a cool thing about experimenting versus what actually mm. occurred uh, with consumers and, and the product connection yeah um well the first kind of surprises was when we were designing our um performance marketing ads and you know you think oh they'll probably respond better to this and then probably respond better to this and then you you know you a b test it and kind of you know option c just performs really well and it's like more blunt and more like to the point than something you know cleverly crafted and so you kind of you can't pick the consumer that and so my my i guess advice would be to like just test a b test different strategies both performance ads but also like your if you're using clavio or um, edm like an automatic flow series you can create a really interesting journey for people to take them on where you're sending them emails over a period of time like automatically but you've kind of crafted that journey and just test different options and, and look at the data and see what the consumer is responding responding more to um yeah it's um i think like what else has really like we you know because we're so complex 
and because we're so we're not just like um, a really easy to understand service or product we just have kept it quite real where we've just the more people we do sampling to the more we can educate the more they will try us the more there's a heightened chance of that one in five coming across us and and feeling that effect and turning into a net promoter so we've invested heavily on that sampling side um yeah like shit, we i think we gave away like twenty thousand bottles last month alone um uh you know which is like you know it's a seven dollar beverage it like starts to starts to add up but yeah. we know that you know out of that twenty thousand, one and five are probably gonna um, feel the effects and then maybe even like you know one and three will be like oh i've heard of this this is a brain drain okay friend or family member who has cognitive concern you should have this so we know that that's um I really and, and and with that sampling last month, we've had um when I say last month, um it was October. I'm, I'm still thinking we're in November at the moment. Um, but our our month in November was our record month, and that was partly due because of our, our high amount of sampling in October and a really high amount of above the line marketing activity, um, which which is, is starting to pay off. Um using things like tracksuit which is a brand tracking software startup. Um, it's been uh, way better for us to actually understand the impact of our, like our billboards or poster campaigns or sampling campaigns where we're creating this awareness, but can we actually measure it in terms of what the impact is? But now with the software like Tracksuit, we're actually showing that we can increase our, we've increased our brand awareness from something like 4% to 11%. And, and and where it's like we're like yeah you know we've increased that much but then we're just like holy smokes like only 11 percent of our total addressable market in new zealand know about us it's like there's still so much more to grow and i think um what distracts um food and beverage and kind of product companies is that they they go oh let's go export to you know around the world and they their resources get kind of depleted and they, their time gets depleted and, and they get distracted and they get spread too thin like export market number one should always be in New Zealand because if you have a really profitable and sound um, base, if the whole world shuts down, you know that you've got still a good business here to to rely on. So we've been really careful to spend a good portion of our time um, keeping to grow grow New Zealand. It's very cool, and I, it's normally my golden uh, rule of what not to do. But I am going to allow some product placement here. One because um, a little bit later we're going to talk about founder wellness. Um, and I think it's very relevant having attested to it myself. And um, yeah, I think you know the more tools and, and things that people try, um, uh, and, and some will work for them, some won't. But it's just super important to keep trying, especially the evil, uh, the evil ones, alcohol and coffee, in my opinion. Um, but look around that sort of active path marketing. I guess um, uh, yeah, and, and it really is about engineering serendipity, isn't it? If I look at my journey to actually purchasing, it was, I think, you know, a combination of maybe three things uh, placed out there. Obviously, I think the one was in a Coru uh, magazine like some time ago. Uh, one was another article somewhere where I forget. I think there might have been a piece on TV that I saw. So there were sort of three things in the background. And then my killer moment was... Um, uh, speaking at semi-permanent a conference recently and I don't know whether they purchased or were um, recipient of one of your 20,000 but that was the first time I actually got to be in a position without you know forking out seven bucks to 
to try one it was in the um in the speaker lounge you know alongside the, the normal soft drinks and stuff and so that was kind of the the serendipitous moment um, the, the question out of that is you know that's a lot of that's a lot of resource and i imagine a lot of cash actually driving that so you talked about data but you know do you have any other top line suggestions for founders who are in that stage of saying hey we think we've got a proposition you know that fits in a story that works now we're going to scale it out there with some of those more you know scarier expensive um uh plays yeah um and so, 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 sorry. What's the what's the question? So the question is, you know, with with me having experienced that through those various um, elements I described, all of which are pretty expensive. Mm. How do you sort of, you know, you, you mentioned data, but how do you actually sort of sit on top of that as a founder with the, I don't know, I guess like the, you know, the, the Angus's rules around that rather than what you would read in a in a Harvard textbook or you know marketing marketing magazine. Is there anything you'd add to that, or is it just simply that you know watch the data, watch where it takes you? Oh, I mean, like you know, like you know, do what works for you within your budget, um, and start small. Like we 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 have started really small, and it might have been say two two events for the year, two shows for the year might have been only you know 100 bottles that those those bottles go out to like you know really well selected um influences and you know influences a very broad term for us like a neuroscientist is an influencer um and uh you know and then and then and then talk with them and then there's a lot of free stuff that you can do you know as well and so like do what what's within your remit and what, what's within your budget and um do as much as you can and, and and really kind of um push as much as you can to see how far you can take it within within that budget and just be really resourceful and hustle and um you know and then as you as you grow in revenue you then can apportion more of your um of that revenue or that budget to, to marketing but I treat marketing as an investment. It's not a it's not a lost you know cost. It's not like freight at the moment, which is you know you, you pay for freight but you're not getting anything out of it. Whereas marketing is an investment and it kind of it leads to future sales. Um, so if you're developing a, a new market, you want to be spending anywhere from you know eight to fourteen percent of your revenue on marketing. And there's even one um, stat out there that Red Bull was spending 30% of their revenue on marketing. Whoa. And so you look at it and you're like, shit. And so uh, marketing is an investment. And I think the, the founder of Saatchi or Ogilvy said if he had one more dollar to spend in his account, he'd spend it on, a, um, on advertising um, in his business. And, and I think that people and everyone's kind of getting you know, like addicted to putting money in the um, in the poker machine of Facebook and then seeing a dollar come back into your store. But it's almost like one for one these days with just how the um, the digital world is, is working with privacy. Um, but yeah, I think like if you can get like a good deal on like probably the best investment for us has been PR. If you've got a really interesting story or a really interesting proposition, coupled with beautiful imagery, coupled with a good presentable website, PR is probably your best investment. We we paid, I think, 2K for when we first launched. 
Um, and and that, at that time, I thought, man, that's so much, you know. And now we spend 8K a month on PR across Australia and New Zealand, and we think we probably need to spend more in Australia. But, you know, that 2K when we first launched um, got us into a Kiora magazine article, which, yeah, you read. And, um, and that set the, I guess, the foundation of creating that kind of top-line awareness for us in the, in the world. And, and since then, PR has been the thing that's gotten us on the news. I mean, we have done clinical research, which has enabled a unique story to then be presented in a PR context. So that's like kind of like our recipe is doing clinical research, publishing it, and then getting PR to talk about it, and then getting featured on really good quality media platforms that then um, create all that awareness and drive traffic to the stores or to our online store. And then we can capture that piece of content and put that into performance marketing ads and then continue to drive eyeballs to that, that piece of content, which is a third party and credible and um, creates more awareness because that's like an authentic uh, storytelling piece. So yeah, if I was to put $1 in marketing, I would put it into PR out of almost anything I'd say. Yeah, cool. Very cool. Um, that's exactly what I want to ask. Sorry for being unclear in the question. No, that's um, right. Often, hey, often um, these marketing ones are like a that kind of um, they they are hard to kind of clarify because it's everyone's got different views and um, ideologies of it all. Yeah, hundred percent. I think the point that you made, you know, in my language is, you know, I don't actually talk about marketing much. I talk about creating demand, and I think that yeah. that last point really resonated with me. I mean, that PR. Um, but, and I see this a lot um, uh, more for the for the emphasis to the community of founders, you know, we have office hours, we do a bunch of things and they've got a great story, but what you mentioned there is also having the assets to back it up in terms of, a, you know, slick even, doesn't have to be a website, even just a landing page and sort of experiences for that person who's hooked on your story, maybe through some PR that then goes and does what everybody does, which is a background sort of check yeah. on how everything else feels. And I see too many of us, just not focusing on those assets um, and, and you can't wait once you've got the PR out there, right? Um, they're going to no, go. No, you've got, you got one, one, one chance at, a, one chance at a, a good first impression. Um, and also you don't want to create demand if you don't have the distribution points. So especially for like for FMCG, you know, you want to, there's not much point creating demand if you don't have, you know, some good retailers on board um, so that people can actually find you. Um, it's different, obviously, with um, with software and technology, where you're just driving everything to your website, um, perhaps. Um, but you know, for for people who actually create products, you want to make sure that you're um, you're found in your local New World or Countdown. And um, when you create that press, make sure that in the in those comms, it's like and and you can be found at you know New World or Countdown. Um, yeah. As well as isn't it amazing how many people don't put that sort of call to action like where you know where or I was just booking something down yep. here the other, uh, yesterday and there was just no content there was no sort of yeah that sounds really cool now where do I where do I go to kind of experience it right now and we in our like in, with our billboard content we even have our partner retail logos on the on the bottom of the billboard and what that does is like those brands have got a lot of equity in them and it kind of leverages your brand up um you know alongside a new world or a countdown um, logo um so it gives your brand credibility and also tells the consumer oh yeah that's where i can find it so i think that that's, that's really important as well and so if your if your companies have got 
like uh, either a certification or or they're onboarded on you know the the apple store or whatever like having an, a, another brand that everyone knows associated with for your piece of content it gives it more credibility yeah very cool folks watching um we've got about 20 minutes to run and there's three things i've got on my list to cover just so you know and everything else you'll have to generate yourselves through q a um, I want to cover um, Angus's views on founder wellness. Um, I'm going to give you a bit of a placeholder on that because I don't, I don't want the, the meat. I think you should talk about uh, Aurepa and what uh, it does because it kind of plays into both, but you choose which way you answer that one before this first question um, to make it not sound as much like that. Um, from my point of view, you can do what you want, really. Um, but uh, the, the question before that is, you know, you're talking about record revenue. Awesome. Congrats. Um, November. Uh, this has obviously cost you a bit of cash. Have you raised capital? And what are your thoughts on that process? Yeah, I mean, prob probably the thing that I would do differently, I would have raised more at a higher valuation earlier. Right. We were pretty naive and we were just doing small raises and then suddenly we found ourselves quite diluted and we were, and it's like, man, we like, and looking at comparatives around the world, we we're like, oh, we're kind of undervaluing ourselves. So we've had to kind of rejig it with um, some options for um, myself and our co-founder to kind of um, reset the previous dilution that we did on the previous rounds because it was, we were still, you know, it was still, um, we're still proving out that concept, but we actually had some quite significant clinical research behind us and the investors probably just didn't quite realize at the time, like what that was meaning from a, um, how the founders were sitting on, a, on an equity perspective and what was a meaningful amount for us to have. So that would be the, I'll raise more at, earlier and then, um, but also also be careful about your own, um, your own equity and make sure that you do get options if, you, if there is dilution to come. Um, to, main, to maintain a, 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 an appropriate amount of um, founder founder equity and you know anything from like the founders should have at least 40% of the company in my mind um, ideally um, and then uh, in terms of raising capital so we did we did a couple of like friends of family rounds and then we've done probably three significant ones which is in the vicinity of a couple of million so we did like a two million a three million and then a four million over the period of i'd say uh 30 months um and we it's you know we've always been like oh then we'll do the series a but we've kind of um We've we've brought on the minimum amount to keep the the dilution at bay, and we're trying to do really effective capital allocation and grow to a far better position, so that the next time we raise, we can raise at a much higher valuation, and we don't need to burn as much. I think the it's gone of the days of the um, you know the WeWorks and the Casper mattresses that you know, raise, you know, hundreds of millions and they might get, you know, you know, hey, we brought in 300 million in revenue um, this year, but we spent 200 million to get it. It's just like, it's just, it's stupid. I mean, it depends on the repeat purchase and, and what your subscription loyalty is like and your churn rate. But yeah, our, our kind of thesis is we've raised 
three and a half million this round. And the focus with this capital is to bring Australia and New Zealand to um, profitability. New Zealand's already profitable, but bring Australia to, to profitability. And while we're doing that, assess what the best next market is to enter and work with likes NZTE to understand what the best next market is to enter based on a whole bunch of factors from ease of doing business to just costs, profitability, um, market size, free trade agreements, et cetera, et cetera, freight, um, and, and figure out, you know, because everyone goes, oh, and then we'll go for the US, but, you know, is the US the right market? It might be, but we might find that, you know, the UK, everyone understands, you know, what a black current drink is and they grew up on Ribena and there's a free trade agreement and then we've got three of the biggest um, supermarkets already asking for it. So, you know, there's all that, that piece of work. Um, our capital strategy has been to bring on investors that can add significant value beyond the cash. So, and we've done it in a way where we've brought on, like this drink is, contains three key ingredients, one of them being black currants. So we bought on investment from the largest black currant grower in the country, which has been um, a really great advantage to us. And, and this year we bought more black currants than Ribena, um, which I'm proud to say. Um, another key ingredient was our pine bark extract. Um, they came on board a lot earlier and they said, we'll, we'll invest in you as long as you do a clinical study um, using our ingredient in your finished product. And I was like, done. Um, I was already going to do a clinical study. So, and with that, they said, we'll give you global exclusive rights to the brain drink space for our ingredient. So there's that kind of defensible element of it. Um, and then more recently, and so this is just like me networking, hustling, adding people on LinkedIn, calling them, presenting to them. Um, we brought on uh, the ex-CEO of Zespri and he's, you know, he's, he ran a multi-billion dollar kiwi fruit exporter um, to, you know, 60 markets for 10 years. So he would know a few things about scale up and about you know, like supply chain and about operations, which he does. And so he's an investor and now director and the, the, the brain that uh, Lane, Lane Jager has um, on him is like phenomenal. And so his directorship um, on Ardepa over the past year has just been completely game-changing for us where we've been on the steep learning curve, but it's like, it's almost like that with, with him on board, um, forcing us to, you know, hire ahead of ourselves and, and do things so that we set up for success and set up for scale the right way and not, you know, um, doing things kind of haphazardly and build the ship as we're kind of sailing. So, and then, yeah, we've had like the, the guy who founded um, Red Antler in New York, this Kiwi, this art director who did the branding behind Allbirds, he invested, but he said, I'll only invest as long as I can um, uh, redo your logo and then redo your packaging, your brand identity. We were like, sweet, like, we've had this brand identity for 10 years and we did it ourselves. So, um, and we know we probably need to like 2.0 it so that we're brand fit for the US anyway. So it was a very, very easy investment deal there. Um, so yeah, we, we've been really, really careful to um, see who else is like, what's the what's the, the added value of this investor coming on, and what's their incentive? And we've we've also said no a lot, and we've also held off on the like we've had 
probably six of the, the top 20 food and beverage or pharmaceutical companies on this planet um, register interests with us and whether it's like a small investment or M&A or like JV, but um, you know, Lane, when, when we were younger and earlier, we were like, yeah, we've just signed an NDA with, you know, insert name here. Um, but, and then we're like, oh, then we can sell to them for a hundred million. But now with having Lane on board, he's like, guys, we could potentially build a billion dollar business out of New Zealand and keep it New Zealand owned. Like, you know, they often tell these companies to fuck off, excuse my French. Yeah. And because um, they'll extract more value from you and, you know, and, and you'll sell yourself short. And so that's really helped to lift our gaze a lot more and, and um, be a lot more uh, protectful about what we're actually sitting on and, and building here. I've got to dig into that last one in terms of what we generally as founders don't do. How, how do you say no to an investor? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you just, yeah, like, thanks, it's just not right for us now, um, or you just don't reply, <laughs> um, or you just, like, you don't push it, like, you can, you can get really distracted, and I think you, you just need to set your strategy and stick to your strategy, and once you set your strategy, then everything else is just, like, falls by the wayside, as long as you're focusing on that, that strategy, and so if the strategy is to find three investors that can contribute up to a million dollars that three of them have got, you know, different um, benefits beyond capital that can be valuable for the business, then just go out and find those three people. Um, and, and then nothing else matters, really. Yeah, cool. Um, moving to the wrap up, really, we've got a few minutes to go. Uh, I wanted to talk to you, as I say, I was uh, still conflicted in my head how to approach the two things. So I'm going to leave it open to you, but the questions are, you know, how do you approach founder wellness and what comes to mind when, when you talk about that and, um, and, and what are the main features of Aripa, um, not just when it comes to that particular sort of marketplace, but, you know, how does that fit into, you mentioned at the start, and I do remember these days as well, of university uh, fish and chips and quite a lot of beer and, and lots of stuff that you didn't, you know, didn't really take care of you. So that's the mishmash of the of the questions. Uh, answer them in whichever way you feel uh, fit and appropriate. Yeah, I mean, you, you like burnout is a real thing, even for our guys here. Um, even though we've got a, you know a drink that can help them um, mentally, there's only that that's to a certain point. Um, but beyond that, it's really focusing in on like there might be some evenings where you work really late, but you should also balance that out with having a sleep in and heading into work at 10 a.m. if you need to. Um, or going to bed a lot earlier. I like going for a run is a really cathartic way for me to, I guess, um, uh, wash out all the all the stress and cobwebs, mental cobwebs. Um, so, you know, doing, doing exercise um, is a good, I think, or just doing a mindfulness whether it's breath work or yoga or meditation or just simply going for a walk around a lake would be um, something that, you know, just listening to music, I find music really therapeutic, um, is really important. And, you know, when I was single with this company, you know, there was certainly, I was socializing a lot more, but like now I've got an 18-month-year-old um, um, boy and, and, and so... The, the lifestyle has certainly changed and the, the requirements have certainly um, uh, uh, changed, but it's just like sleep and diet and, and, you know, looking after yourself, what you put in is, is what you get out. So 
eating eating a healthy diet, getting enough sleep, getting enough exercise. It's as simple as that. And then reaching out for help if you're not if you're not the capable person to do execute the the function that you're you're currently trying to like whether it's finance or marketing or sales either hire someone or find someone that is better than you at it to help you execute it because you could spend five hours in the evening trying to do one hard thing on Excel or you could find a, a friend um, or someone that you know that's a weapon and they can do it in five minutes and then you know it's no sweat off their back and, and saved you four and a half hours so um, having having a good board of advisors and then hiring the right people that are far better than you in the departments that you need them to be experts at is certainly helps to reduce that that overall stress. And having someone that can run your, your finance function earlier, whether it's like your chairman or whether it's your like a part-time accountant, you know, financial stress is one of the hardest stresses for founders. Um, and then after that, it's team. And so having a good like we've we're only 20 staff we've got a part-time hr manager now and that's that's making life a lot easier for us and, and it's helping us to um, help our staff a lot better um which is which is really good um and then yeah and then we we just say you know like don't have too, too much coffee don't have too much alcohol you know everything in moderation um and then yeah in terms of what what we're doing our, our research is around like three things primarily how arepa can increase cognitive function and it's primarily under different types of stress whether it's physical mental or environmental um how arepa can improve um, brain health in the long run and then how we can boost the immune system because we think COVID in this day and age people want that functionality built into anything really um you know you want something Whatever you consume, you want it to be good for you, both your brain and also your body. Things like Red Bull, it might be good for your brain in the short term, but it's not good for your body in the long term or your brain in the long term. So um, that's our kind of, those are our three areas of focus. And then we've got that um, deployed into nine clinical studies across leading universities in Australia and New Zealand. And um, yeah, we published our first study two years ago showing that we could we physically fatigued athletes and they either had ADEPA or a taste match placebo before we send them running for 90 minutes. And then after those 90 minutes, we gave them a battery of cognitive tasks. And we found that we could improve their accuracy by 700% versus the placebo. 700? 700% or seven times versus the placebo. And, and so we've got uh customers like olympic athletes or stephen adams or the all blacks consuming us now which is really cool or um, new zealand defense or um gold medal winning um rowers or um yeah, nitro circus riders but there's no money in elite sport um we make more money on a supermarket over a weekend than we do on the all blacks for a year um we're also showing that our, our beverage can significantly inhibit this enzyme that's responsible for oxidizing and eating up dopamine in the brain. It's called a, um, it's a MAO inhibitor. And we're, we're showing people with the, this MAO enzyme that chews up these neurotransmitters, people with um, high amounts of this enzyme activity are kind of really um, at risk of depression, dementia, Parkinson's, and a few other cognitive disorders. And what we've just shown recently is that um, we are working just as well. The efficacy is the same as 
some of the, these leading Mal V inhibitor drugs, but without the side effects. So we'll be publishing that research next year, um, which is like is putting us into like a medical food territory, which we're really excited about. But obviously, we don't have the side effects, which is really cool. Um, we've got we were the only company in Australasia to land a dementia Australia backed study. So we've got um, our product being tested with people with early onset dementia, which is um, Amazing. And then we've at the School of Psychology at the University of Auckland, we've been scanning the brains of university students and found that we can, from one-time consumption, we can increase working memory in, in stressed university students. So we're just building out all this evidence to show that there's um, uh, benefits for like mental performance, benefits for mood, benefits for like long-term brain health and then benefits for the immunity and the immunity one where um, we've gone up against the flu vaccine. Um, so we're comparing the effects of the flu vaccine versus Ardepa versus placebo um, and people last year and then people this year as they come in to get the flu jabs and next year as well, actually. Um, so that'll get published in like 2024, I think. But um, yeah, there's... Because like we're we're we are packed with like antioxidants and polyphenols found in black currants and pine bark that have got a multitude of these health benefits, and so we just want to kind of consolidate it all and put it into a um a finished product with a study that's really really comprehensive to say that like we help your brain, we help your immune system, you know, we're caffeine free, we're natural, we're low GI, you know, we're good for you. Buy us. <laughs> It's very cool. And yeah, just such a wide range of opportunities, obviously, around the brain, which makes total sense. Mate, we're coming up for the wrap. And of course, um, community, I'm a little bit frustrated with you because you've left all your questions until the end. Um, so we're going to have a crack at ripping through them. The first one's easy because it's just a suggestion you may have to change the name for the US market. Um, that feels like something you'd be well and truly on top of. Um, the, the next one is uh, in the earliest days. How did you get buyers at supermarkets and outlets interested in actually stocking um, Odipa? Uh, knocking on the door, turning up, getting um, politely declined, getting, you know, like you just got to show up, be like, hey, um, uh, I've, got, I've, got, I've got the product for you, you know, but the, 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 it's a hard ask with buyers. You feel like you're, a, um, you, you're drunk outside of a bar and the... Um, <laughs> You know the bouncer's not letting you in, um, and uh, so you kind of you got to have thick skin, and you just need to show them that look, there's nothing on the shelf that um, uh, is currently this this product proposition. Um, it's a this is a high value item, so you'll make um, a good return on your shelf space, and then you often just have to give a free case to say, look, I'll give this case to you for free. Um, I'll tell me when it when it sells through, and you want to buy some more, and, and that's that's often. Um, that, that's that's really often works. Um, yeah, cool. The, the next question, and just in terms of the name, um, so Arepa is Te Māori for Alpha, as in the Alpha brainwave, and then Arepa is a Venezuelan flatbread, which is in kind of um, South America. Uh -huh. um, so that's the that's the question. But we're not too concerned. Like no one company owns um, Arepa, the, the flat cornbread, and we've got a macaron above our A. That's the difference. Um, so we're just owning it. I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know, Apple computers and Apple, the Apple, you know, Apple, Apple. So it's just something that we've got to deal with. Um, in terms of how do you protect your brand from copycats? So we've actually got a, 
our first clinical study, we did a um, we showed a unique benefit which we've patented. So we've managed to um, create a, a patent around the combination of our ingredients um, for in improving mental clarity, and that patent has got some kind of flex with it. So we've um, <laughs> there's actually a copycat in the market now that I can't name, but we're um, we're kind of uh, our lawyers are speaking to their team at the moment, enforcing our patent. Um, which might change things. We also had another copycat just completely rip us off um, from a look perspective, which is harder. I mean, you go to your trademark sort of, um, and then they went outside the patent because our patent is like either it's the least amount that you need for it to work and then kind of the upper limit and anything um, under that, it doesn't work. It's just, you know, sprinkle amounts and anything over that is just going to be far too expensive. And, so this player went with the cheap side and, um, you know, obviously he found that he couldn't sell it again or sell it through stores because people were looking at going, oh, is this another type of brain drink? And then trying it and not feeling anything. And then they had to, they had to pull that way. So um, I get the yeah. feeling that um, uh, is, is the way you look at it, that the more successful, and the more expensive you get into the market, the more you have to provision to have people trying to sort of copycat. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So as we head into the US, like we're kind of budgeting in, you know, um, yeah. legal fees to, to do that, that that type of defense. Um, certainly, you, you're going to get more and more, more and more copycats. Um, having that Pine Bark exclusivity helped because that, that second player, um, they wanted to buy the Pine Bark, but they couldn't because of the, the arrangement that we had. So just look at a whole, look at anything in your in your value and look at whether you've got supply partners that are really incremental, are really important to that value and whether you can kind of lock them up, you know, with you on that. Patents, trade secrets, just like engage early with an IP lawyer and see what's unique about your proposition and, and, and work hard to protect it. And also work hard to defend it. So much point in creating these patents unless you're going to defend them. And so we've had to exercise it now, which has been costly, but if we don't act on it now, then you just let these kind of weeds grow. And um, and we've had advice from our other investors, like we've got the founder of Convita on and he wish he had patented the UMF factor um, and then he wish he had kind of defended against copycats a lot more aggressively because they got out of hand and, you know, took a share of the market and, and destroyed some of the, the reputation for Manuka Honey offshore. Yeah. Uh, final question from Tristan uh, around the uh, is it mal levels. Uh, you can if you buy an assay. Um, you need to take bloods to be able to do it, and you, you can't directly uh, measure the mal enzyme. Um, you have to take things like prolactin, which is a byproduct.